The second reading is taken from Luke chapter 23, verses 6 to 25. Luke chapter 23, verse 6. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether, whether Jesus was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him. And he was hoping to see some signs done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I do not find this man guilty of any of the charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he has sent him back to us. Let nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Morning, folks. Uh, good to see you and uh, good to have you with you. Good to have you with us if you're watching um, from home as well. I want to speak to you uh, this morning about what the worst sound in the world is. I wonder what you would say that is. It's not uh, uh, fingernails being uh, pulled down a blackboard or the sound of a violin being badly played or even the sound of a baby crying all night um, if you've had to endure that. Here it is. Here's the worst sound in the world. Can you hear it? not the sound of fan heaters whirring if you're, if you're in the middle. It's the sound of silence. That's what I'm trying to get across to you. And before you jump on me, and if, particularly if you've had kids, just go back to school and you go, come on, silence is a great thing. I can finally get some work done. I can finally get some peace and quiet. Um, and if you were <clears throat> serving out a set at Wimbledon or, or settling down over a 10-foot Pup to win the US Masters at Augusta, which incidentally are two things I have never had the opportunity to do and don't think I ever uh, will uh, do. But there are some situations, aren't there, like those two, in which silence is essential. 
And I'm sure you can think of many other uh, situations in which, as the old saying goes, silence is golden. But what about when God goes silent? What about when God stops speaking to you? The Bible shows us time and time again that that can never be a good thing. And we could look at the story of King Saul or Eli and Eli the high priest and his sons or, or even Abraham to whom God stopped speaking for 13 years because of stubborn pride and impatient disobedience. We can flick to Amos 8 as well and, and find that there came a day when God's own people, the people of Israel, found that the result of their sin was going to be them having a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. And so it shouldn't be surprising, but it is no less striking in this little handful of verses in Luke 23 that we're going to look at this morning that we find King Herod with Jesus, the word of God become flesh standing in front of him. And verse 9 tells us that though he questioned him at some length, Jesus says nothing. He made no answer. The happiest life a person can live is according to God's voice. But here, God won't speak. What is going on? Well, for those of you who know your Bibles well, you'll instantly be going, flick, flick back to Isaiah 53, uh, verse 7, where, where the prophet uh, speaks of this suffering servant who is to come, who will be oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. God prophesied this silence centuries before. Jesus would go to his death without putting up a defense because he goes there for a particular purpose, resolutely, to die for sinners like us. That's what's going on here. But there's more than that going on here. After all, this is Jesus' third trial of the day. It's barely mid-morning. This is third trial of the day. And uh, while his answers to the Jewish council and to Pilate were particularly curt, at least he said something. Yet all the noise that we hear in this little section is coming from somebody other than Jesus. Herod's probing questions in verse 9. The accusations of the chief priests and the teachers of the law in verse 10. The ridiculing and mocking of Herod and the soldiers in verse 11. And yet the most deafening sound there is, is the sound of silence. Jesus says nothing. And to find out why, we need to do a little bit of time travel. To go back to a time when Herod's Herod first heard the word of the Lord when his conscience was open and warm towards hearing it. This Herod, by the way, is, is not the one who killed all those baby boys in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. No, this is his son. And in Mark chapter 6, we learn that Herod had seduced and stolen his brother's wife, Herodias. But out of the wilderness comes 
John the Baptist, this strange little man who was sent by God to announce the coming of the Christ. And he disturbs and terrifies the king. He comes preaching that all must repent. They must confess their sin and turn from it to live God's way in God's world. And so he fronts up to Herod in Mark's gospel and he says, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Talk about speaking truth to power, folks. That's bold. And unsurprisingly, Herodias doesn't like it one bit. And so Herod has John seized and locked up. And though Herodias wanted him put to death, Mark tells us that Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Folks, God has planted a conscience in each one of us, this God-given witness to what is right and what is wrong. And Herod's was cut to the very core by the preaching of John the Baptist. He didn't just uh, listen to John and like so many uh, do today say, well, that's fine for you, but I'm sorry, that's just not my cup of tea. I'm not interested. Or how dare you? How dare you tell me what I can and cannot do? I I tell you, judge my lifestyle in that way, you silly little man. For after all, we can be pretty sure that, sure that straight-talking John did not hold back. I mean, can you imagine it? Can you imagine what these sessions with the king were like? King Herod, you must turn from your sin, from your adultery. God has given you this incredible gift of sexuality. Who are you to use it in this way and go against him? You must seek his forgiveness, his cleansing. You must do it now. For there is another king coming, and he will judge you. And so I am standing before you today, pleading with you to turn to him. And day after day, this goes on. This man in chains is brought up from the dungeon to cause a king to tremble. And when it says in Mark 6, he was perplexed, it doesn't mean intellectually perplexed, like he couldn't understand it. No, no, no. The original language more has the meaning of moral perplexity. Herod, well, there's no hint that he has any disagreement at all with what John says. He doesn't disagree. He just couldn't bring himself to act on what he heard. He was prepared to listen to John. He was prepared to acknowledge how good a man John was. He didn't just talk the talk, he walked the walk. He was even prepared to protect him from his own wife. I mean, you can imagine there was some pillow talk that went on there, couldn't you? But he did that. But there was one thing he would not do. He would not cease his adultery and repent. And so I have to stop there and ask, can you relate to that at all? Maybe you like to listen to God's word. You, you like to read it even and read about it, but there's something that is holding you back in your walk with the Lord. 
And you just won't stop. You won't give it up. Despite the fact you know it's God's world and that there is a day of reckoning for how we have used his gifts and lived our lives, you won't change. Sinclair Ferguson, the pastor and theologian, writes in one of his books, unless we silence sin, sin will silence conscience. Unless we pay attention to God's word, the day may come when we despise God's son and reject him. And then God will have nothing more to say to us. Well, sadly, Herod chose to suppress his conscience. As one day Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. Now, you've got to get the picture here. Uh, This is more of a stag dude than a birthday party. And if you think that uh, uh, this uh, young lass is uh, a belly dancer, then um, you're not getting the picture at all. We are in the Playboy Mansion. That's what's happening. And the king, consumed by lust and alcohol, utters this ridiculous promise to his stepdaughter. Ask me for whatever you wish, and I'll give it to you. (laughs) Up to half my pick, up to half my kingdom. And you can imagine as he, as he utters that promise, all of his mates gathering around and, and, and slapping him on the back. Ah, oh, Herod, you're the man, you're the man. But imagine how the color would drain from his face when the girl, having rushed out to consult briefly with her mother, comes dashing back in and says, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. He is in the valley of decision, folks, isn't he? This is the key moment in his life. There is a choice to be made. What will he do? He knows that John is a righteous and holy man. He knows that when he preaches, he is preaching the very words of God, the creator. Surely he must declare, no, sorry, I will not kill him. This evening is over. Salome, Put some clothes on, dear. Gentlemen, go home. We're done tonight. But instead, oh, instead, Mark tells us, and the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guess, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. Folks, we are the choices that we make. We are the choices that we make. And it is interesting how Herod... How he just wanted to sit on the fence like I think we so often want to ourselves, listening to John but going on, living as we please. But here Herod finds himself enslaved, (laughs) the most powerful man in the nation, (laughs) surely free to do whatever he likes. No, he is enslaved by other people's opinions and behaviors, isn't he? 
And the fact that remains that many of us will deny our consciences, deny what we know is right, deny God's word, deny the fact there is a judgment to come, proved for us by the resurrection of Jesus, and all because of other people's opinions and our own pride. It is amazing. In the valley of decision, it is amazing what we will do because of what our friends or our colleagues or our family members or our society thinks. It's amazing what we'll do. But maybe you can live with that. Maybe it's all right to live like that. Maybe Herod, now that he has had John killed, can actually finally have some peace of mind. Well, no. Because rumor of another holy man roaming the countryside, preaching repentance and gathering followers has reached the palace. And this time he's doing incredible miracles <laughs> that, uh, that amaze folks and fire the imagination. It's Jesus. He's come, just as John predicted. And Herod's conscience is deeply troubled by this. As back in Luke now, chapter 9, we are told that when Herod heard what was going on, he was perplexed. There's that word again. He was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. Others that Elijah had appeared. And still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? Do you reckon that's a conscience at work, folks? I reckon it is. And the word I is emphatic in the Greek. I am the one. I chopped off his head. I did it. He's got, Harry's got blood on his hands and he, he just can't get it off. He's, he's like Lady Macbeth. Out, damn spot, out. And folks, we do all kinds of evils. All kinds of things that we naturally want to put away from our conscience as if they never happened. We push them deep down and we never confess them to God or man. And yet then, some chance incident, a, a, a meeting with another person maybe, brings up a memory that we had supposedly, we had supposed was lost in the ocean of oblivion. And folks, when that happens, we must listen to that. So often that is God calling us to repentance and forgiveness, to turn from our sin. And that is what Herod's conscience is furtively doing here. And surely now, having heard of Jesus coming, he will humble himself and seize the day, won't he? I mean, it says in Luke 9 that Herod sought to see Jesus. But clearly he did not. It's amazing. He won't repent. He won't change. He will not listen to his conscience anymore. And so back to where we started in Luke 23. As Jesus is brought before Herod, we are told that, verse 8, he was very glad for he had long desired to see him. Not because he wanted to hear more of the powerful preaching he'd heard from John three years previously, but because he had heard about him and was hoping to see some sign done by him. 
Herod was thrilled to see Jesus, but for all the wrong reasons. He did not want a Lord. He didn't want a savior. He just wanted Jesus to put on a show. (laughs) Come on, Jesus, perform a miracle for us. Do the water into wine thing. (laughs) That's a classic, I heard about that one. Come on, turn a rod into a serpent. Can Can you do the Moses thing too? Come on, make it rain Haribo. (laughs) Wouldn't that be class? But Jesus is not the greatest showman. He is not our genie in a lamp that we can rub with our questions or our prayers and get whatever we wish. And so Herod questioned him at some length, but he made... No answer. And yet, still, Herod does not respond by tearing his robes and throwing himself full flat on his face before Jesus and and cry, Lord Jesus, I know why you are not answering me. I know my sin. That blood is on my hands. But please, please, forgive me and have mercy on my soul. The silence of Jesus does not convict Herod's conscience. It merely infuriates him. And so when he doesn't get what he wants, his true colors are revealed. As verse 11 tells us that he joins in with those subservient to him, his soldiers in ridiculing and mocking Jesus. And then he dresses him up in some shiny robes and sends him packing back to Pilate. Folks, let me, let me wrap this up. Let me try and land this. My time is almost up. I hope you can see this terrible, chilling warning that there is here for us. It's as though God is saying, Herod, when you silence John, when you would not listen to your conscience as Christ came, as I sent him to you, when you refused to repent and you merely wanted Jesus to put on a show, you silenced me. That's what you did. And so we see Herod go to hell clutching Herodias and his friends and his pride and his power to his chest to the very end. And sadly, what happened to Herod can happen to any one of us. So you've been tuning into these services over these last few months and you've enjoyed listening to God's word. Let me say Do not be content on merely hearing his words. Do what they call you to do. Repent and believe. Maybe as we've mentioned, Christianity Explored or or the Something Better Evenings, you've been intrigued and you thought, maybe it would be good to investigate things further. But you thought, maybe I'm not quite ready yet. I'm not sure I've got time to make that next step. Let me beg you, don't put it off any longer. Do it now. Make the time. Because if you keep on hearing the gospel, but don't do anything about it, you invite a fog to descend over your eyes so that in time it will shut out all the light. Respond now while it still grips you. For a day may come 
when it no longer does. Let me say a word to any teenager watching this morning. And you've been uh, watching uh, through the months of this pandemic, uh, tuning into these services and, and sermons with your family without kicking up much of a fuss. Great, we're so glad that you've been doing that. In fact, at many points, you've been really intrigued by what you've heard and you feel warm and tender and open to the things of Christ. But you're tempted to think, oh, well, I'm young, I've got plenty of time yet. I'll come back to this when I'm older. Because so much I still want to do, I want to do this, I want to do that. I want to have fun and I, I don't want this getting in the way. I'll turn to Christ later. Uh, maybe actually you're waiting for Jesus to put on a show to, to work something powerful in your life that will make everything just so much more obvious before you put your trust in him. What can I say to you? Later may never come. But God is speaking to you now. So trust in Christ while you hear his voice. Trust in him while the going is good. Trust in him today. There's another bit of the Bible that says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And folks, that same challenge is there for all of us who believe too. We may not mock uh, and ridicule Christ, and uh, we sincerely hope that we never do. But we can still be resistant to his word. We can still hold him at arm's length, can't we? Perhaps something in your Bible reading, uh, your Bible study uh, group, in a sermon maybe weeks, months ago, really challenged you. Uh, Perhaps it was setting the alarm earlier, in the morning so that you can get up and spend time with the Lord first thing as you start your day. Perhaps it was finally getting around to sorting out your stewardship, fasting at lunchtime so you can make more time to pray, uh, heading down the road to, to check on that uh, newly widowed woman who lives there to see how she's getting on and if there's anything she needs, whatever it might be. You're really challenged. You heard God speak to you and you thought, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it once I've finished this project. Once the kids have gone back to school, that's when I'll do it. I suspect the reason that many of us often feel stale or apathetic in our Christian walk is if God is distant, is because we have weakened our consciences by continually suppressing the private appeals and suggestions of the Holy Spirit. The happiest life a person can live is to live according to God's voice. So do not take God's word for granted. Listen. Brothers and sisters, let me implore you. As I implore myself, we must listen and obey what we hear. We're going to take the chance to reflect on this now as we sing. And I want to suggest that we, we use this song as, song as a chance to, to hear God's call to us, to, to put aside the fears that we have that, that stop us responding to his word, and to embrace faith in Christ. 
And if you do feel that God is calling you uh, to finally give yourself to the Lord Jesus and, and to, to trust your life to him this morning, then after we sing this song, Ben is going to pray a prayer uh, that enables us to do just that. So let's um, sing and pray. Uh, we can do that uh, seated or standing as we like. Let's do that now. Well, do you take a seat. We sang there, you've rescued us with your great love. Now that song encourages us to fully put our trust in Christ. Uh, and maybe after all that we've looked at this morning, uh, you've realized that uh, you don't want to put off trusting Jesus any longer. Uh, you want to commit your life to him, uh, or maybe recommit your life to him. And uh, this prayer that's up on the screen uh, is a great prayer to pray, uh, if that's you. Um, I'm going to pray it in a minute, uh, and I'd love you to join me in saying these words. I want to have a quick look over them now. Uh, in short, it says, I recognize who you are and what you've done. Uh, Jesus, thank you. Uh, please forgive me and come into my life and lead me through life. So I'm going to pray it now, and uh, I'd love you to join me if you feel able to. Let's pray these words together. Dear Jesus, I recognize who you are. You are the word of God's become flesh, uh, the Lord of all life, the one long promised and finally sent to be the savior of my soul. I need you. I realize that for too long, I have silenced my conscience and listened to every other voice but yours. Please forgive me for my sin and selfishness. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising to give me new life. Come into my life now, this day, and lead me through this life and into eternity. Amen. Well, if you've prayed that prayer for the first time, uh, or if you've recommitted your life to Christ today, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, coming to Jesus uh, is uh, something we do together. Uh, we never do it on our own. Uh, and so um, I would love it if you could uh, let uh, myself or Ken know uh, if you've prayed that prayer. Uh, fire us an email if you're watching online. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and be able to help you uh, in your next steps as a Christian. Whether you've prayed that prayer uh, or, uh, or you're just still thinking things through, uh, the Christianity Explored course is a great thing to do uh, to be able to explore Jesus more or ask questions. Uh, it's too late to join the course that we're running at the moment, uh, but we're hoping to run uh, another course after Easter and we'd love you to join us for that. Uh, so again, let us know if you'd like to join uh, a course after Easter or if you'd like to just know more about that course.